0: Back in. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. I'm your host, Wobby, Mike Wobshaw, with you as always here to talk Vikings as we break down the New Year's Eve loss to Green Bay. Look ahead to the season's final regular season week where the Vikings travel to Detroit to play the Lions and are still fighting for a wild card position as the Lions fight for the NFC's number two seed. A lot to get to as we discuss. The Vikings and their prospects for the postseason and maybe take a peek into the offseason as well as a very meaty busy offseason uh, is in store for the Minnesota Vikings to talk about all this no one better to join me than my partner and co-host Giles who joins us now hey Giles how you doing
1: Hey, hey, happy new year. Um, I mean, today is, you know, kind of the, the first time we're recording here in the new year and, the uh, you know, it's the ultimate Monday, right? The ultimate reset day. Because uh, yeah. at the end of the day, whenever there's a new year, you get to try to think about new year, new me. What do you need to change? What do you need to upgrade? What do you need to stop? And I think that translates very, very effectively over to the Minnesota Vikings, because uh, in a lot of ways, I know a lot of fans are clamoring for them to hit the reset button now that they've lost against the, uh, against the Packers. That was kind of an ugly yeah. win. But uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, the Packers game and you know where we need to go here for the next seven days and you know over the next offseason
0: yeah and I have a couple of points from the Packers game you know we were in the building for that uh I presume you were watching from the comfort of of your own home um yep so you know we experienced it in different ways but I think we probably saw the same things um but I do think you bring up a good point about you know, where are you casting your gaze right now as a Vikings fan? Is it um are you holding out hope that you can cash the four team parley it would take to get into the playoffs? You know, the Vikings have to win, Seattle has to lose, uh, Green Bay has to lose, and then either Tampa or New Orleans have to lose. They play each other, so as long as that game doesn't end in a tie, you I mean, that's a four-team parley. I don't know how much experience everyone listening has trying to cash four-team parlays in the NFL, but this just in, that doesn't happen very often. That's what <laughs> has to happen for the Vikings to make the playoffs. Now, it's possible. It can happen, certainly. Um, and some people are focusing on that and will be holding out hope for that. But I think what you're alluding to, Giles, is there's another fraction of uh, or segment of the fan base who maybe is – more realistic and is wondering what's in store for 2024. And to that end, winning this game is not beneficial for you because um, you know, your draft position, your waiver position, all of that hinges on the outcome of this game. And it's obviously better for those ventures if you lose. Um, so there's two ways you can look at it. I, you know, being a 15 year veteran in the business and conditioned to always want to win, um, you know, always is um, is probably a word you should be careful using, right? Because uh, there are no exceptions with always. So, um, you know, if you're looking to get a top tier quarterback in the draft, or if you're looking to potentially trade up into the first five picks of the draft, it's much easier to do that from the ninth or tenth position, which the Vikings will have if they lose, than it is from sixteen or seventeen, which is where they'll be if they win. So. You know, that's a discussion maybe for another day. I think for today, we we sort of focus on the, on the Lions and what happened with Green Bay, what do you have to correct, and, and how do you beat the Lions. But, you know, I'll give you a minute to sound off on that. I, I think those are two very different paths that the Vikings could go down. And, again, I tend to be more on the – I think you benefit more from winning and making the playoffs, even if you have no chance of making any noise. I think what that does for your program and your culture is – is a bigger plus than picking 11th instead of 16th. But it's it's not always that simple, you know?
1: Yeah. And I do believe that the Vikings do lose on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. Your draft position ranges anywhere from the ninth overall pick to the 12th overall pick. So there are a few scenarios in which you lose that you get a top 10 draft pick. With that being said, as an ultimate fan of football, and it's you know I think you 're on the same page i 'm never a fan of losing. I think the the goal should always be winning, so I think keeping that in mind, especially with having Brian Flores in the building, someone that is in an active lawsuit over the idea of winning and losing uh, we're going to try to win. I think that is pretty uh, pretty clear now, will we win that 's another story, but I think there will be an attempt to win, uh, and I think the the posture needs to reflect that. Um, but when you evaluate what happened against the you know the the Green Bay Packers, I think the entire losses on Kevin O'Connell. Uh, I know that oh. may be a hot take in some people's minds, uh, but I think a lot of people look at Jaron Hall's performance and they're like, oh, we saw it. He's no good. Now, to be very clear, I am not claiming that he is good. Uh, I want to be explicitly clear on that take. I'm not rooting for Jaron Hall necessarily, but I think we went into that game with the exact wrong game plan. When we were trying to achieve success against the Packers, I think uh, pretty... Pretty uh, consistently, we had seven uh, step drops with Jaron Hall and our offensive line could not pick it up. Now, I don't want to reveal the, uh, the PFF rankings too much there, but Garrett yeah. Bradbury ended the day with a 5.3 pass blocking grade, not 53, 5.3. Ouch. That is probably the worst (laughs) pass blocking grade I've ever seen in my life. Uh, And that's right up the interior, right? So when you're looking at seven, seven step drops, you're trying to have long developing plays, trying to throw the deep ball. That is not going to happen when you have interior offensive line crumbling like that period. Now, maybe that's Kevin O'Connell, not realizing that the interior couldn't hold up against the, the Packers defensive line. But at the end of the day, that, that absolutely fell apart and he should have adjusted immediately. And when you think about Jaron Hall's, uh, Uh, areas of strengths, I don't think it's in that game. I think they should have had the rollout game with play action. Um, I think there was just simply the wrong game plan. So at the end of the day, when you're thinking about going against the Detroit Lions, we'll talk about that a little bit, but I'm actually the frame of mind. Why not give Jaron Hall another try and go at it with a different game plan? Because at the end of the day, I think Nick Mullins is who we thought he was. And, uh, you know, I think. I think there is more upside to be uh, had if you try to play Jaron Hall and change your game plan to more effectively leverage his strengths, if that makes sense. It does. I think
0: I think you could go back and look at the tape, Giles, and see um, some open throws that were there for Hall that he didn't take for whatever reason. Either he didn't anticipate them or he felt pressure and got had to move off of his spot, whatever. So, I think there's another side to that, but I don't know that I would aggressively take that over yours. I don't think you're wrong at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you do have to always meld what as a play caller and play designer and coach, what is my philosophy? what am I asking the team to do? How have we built this mm-hmm. with who is actually pulling the trigger here, and can they do that mm-hmm. right um there's all sorts of, you know, um, inspirational sayings about, um, you know, how are you evaluating something and, you know, if if you're evaluating, you know, a monkey and how well he can swim, you're not going to think a monkey's a very great animal, right? But that's mm-hmm. not what monkeys do. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, th- I'll, I'll sort of um, compare this to... A college quarterback who gets a lot of high praise and a lot of criticism, and that 's michigan 's JJ McCarthy mm-hmm. um, for anyone who watches college football you know michigan's undefeated, just won the college football playoff semifinal last night in the Rose Bowl over Alabama, and they 're you know undefeated and playing for a national title. Their quarterback, who's an undefeated starting quarterback this year doesn 't strike me as a guy i 'd want to draft high and build my franchise around. And if you look at it through that prism, you'd say he's not very good. J.J. McCarthy is not good. But but J.J. McCarthy is a great quarterback for the University of Michigan and for the way they have it built. He's mm-hmm. he's perfect for them. So, yeah, he might not be great for the Colts to draft, or they, I, I guess the Colts have Richardson. He, he might not be great for a team looking for a quarterback to draft right? high. But yep. for Michigan, he's exactly what they need. And so, you know, like – Jaron Hall might not be able to do what, you, what Kirk Cousins can do, but, but what can Jaron Hall do? And that's what you need to do against the Detroit Lions if you're playing the Detroit Lions. And I think that's what you're saying, and that's not what they did, it would yep. appear, against the Green Bay Packers. So um, you know, I wouldn't totally give up on Jaron Hall as an NFL prospect. I certainly wouldn't bet on him as being the, the answer for the Vikings, but I don't think that they should necessarily cast him aside and give up on him. So, yeah,
1: Yeah, because I think they tried to go into the game plan thinking they had Kirk Cousins under center and Jaron Hall and Kirk Cousins are different players. Um, And with the same spirit that we've had kind of rooting for Jaron Hall to get some field time uh, and some play time, we don't know what he is. So let's give it let's give it a shot. And I don't think we gave it proper, uh, a proper try. I think we went into the wrong game plan. So in the spirit of identifying, is he a guy? I think we should still give him another shot, because at the end of the day, I don't think that. Nick Mullins necessarily gives you the same, or a, a better chance to win. I think he has uh, a more effective route to getting yards put on the field, like he's going to push the ball down the field, but his his uh, propensity to throw picks is also going to train wreck that. I, I truly believe yeah. that. So when I think about the the net positive versus the net negative with both quarterbacks. I still think it's worth giving Jaron Hall another shot. Now, I but, could be convinced that saying that's not the worth, the, the right route here, but I think, uh, given where we're at in the season and the unlikelihood of going moving forward, I think still with the intention of winning, give him a shot, have a better, much better uh, game plan uh, designed to fit his strengths.
0: Yep, I agree with you. And actually, what we're talking about right now sort of is related to. I, I had two takeaways that I, I kind of wanted to bring up with you, and the, you know, one of them is how striking how strikingly obvious it was that the quarterback path the Vikings and Packers are each on right now are are so divergent and different we i mean we see a Vikings team with their franchise quarterback hurt and unavailable and they have no one there to pick up the pieces you know and you compare that to the Packers, who are moving on from a legend in Aaron Rodgers with a young quarterback in Jordan Love, who is the answer. They do have the answer. Now, I'm not going to suggest that Jordan Love is going to be what Aaron Rodgers was. Uh, you know, almost known in NFL history has has been that. But, I mean, Jordan Love was dominant and in command uh, mm-hmm. on Sunday night. Uh, he, he was making throws and plays that were unbelievable to see in person and then to go back and watch it again um was even more impressive um off-platform throws lowering his arm angle um you know accurate deep throws off his back foot i just it was the vikings are disguising coverage and jordan loves one step ahead um it was very impressive and if you are a jordan love person or just a packers person you have to be feeling very good about how that all looked last, uh, the other night against the Vikings.
1: A hundred percent. And I think uh, when you look at Jordan Love in comparison to where he was, even when we played them, much less the beginning of the season, the game has clearly started to slow down for him. And he is now starting to dissect defenses and really be dominant. I mean, even looking at the PFF grades, he was one of the highest graded players on the field uh, across uh, both teams on Sunday. He had a 90.8 grade uh, across the board. He did phenomenal in every category, and he's starting to become... Uh, kind of a prospect that makes me think that the the Packers are the luckiest franchise in NFL history, three quarterbacks right. in a row. Now, do I think, like you said, he is Rodgers yet? No, but considering where he was before and the the amount of uh, progression that he's had throughout the season and where he's at today, I'm really interested to see where he'll be this time next year, because if he continues on this, this upward trajectory, he's going to be a dominant quarterback in the NFL.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it was how he played on Sunday night is what Matt LaFleur, like if you said paint a picture for where Jordan Love should be at the end of his first year, Mm -hmm. what would it look like that that's what it Mm -hmm. would look like. Like Matt LaFleur had to be leaving the stadium, riding the bus on the plane and just be sky high cloud nine. Mm -hmm. Now that's not how Matt LaFleur wants it to go at the end of next year. He wants it to progress and be even better. Than mm-hmm. it was, but for like end of first year as starter, what should Jordan Love look like? Matt Floor's like would be like this this is what it should look like. Yep. Um, so you know, congratulations to them for be- being in that position. And the Vikings can only hope that, that that's where they are a year, maybe two years from now, with whoever their next quarterback is. Uh, but it was just very, very impressive. It, it was a very strong, um, uh, performance from the quarterback. And my second point was, you know, we're, we're wrong often enough on on some of our predictions, Giles. Uh, We were spot on about our fears of how that game would go for Minnesota. And Mm -hmm. I thought um, the dagger might've come almost in the first quarter on the Jaden Reed touchdown uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we've talked about how we were skeptical of the Vikings' ability to win a game or to keep pace with the Packers in a high-scoring game here. And Mm -hmm. for Green Bay to take a 10-0 lead before the first quarter was over, given what was happening with the Vikings' offense and quarterback, I thought that was too tall of a a mountain for them to climb. And Jaden Reed is absolutely an emerging problem uh, for the NFC North, for other teams, because he's fast and good. He runs good routes. Um, And the last thing you would want is... A to see Jordan Love progress the way he has, but then B for him to have an awesome target to to use. And Jaden Reed is that. And that touchdown pass to Jaden Reed. The Vikings were disguising their look there as like a a single high save, a cover one or cover three look, and it was actually cover two. And they I think it might have been Ivan, I think it was might have been Pace running down the middle of the field there in cover two trying to trying to guard Reed. And Reed was running down the seam and it was just a perfect throw um a really good route and i thought right and i didn't see all of that live i just saw the touchdown pass and going down 10-0 and i thought that they were in trouble but going back and watching it it was just a very impressive uh play by green bay and you couldn't help but be discouraged about the vikings chances for the rest of the game there that that sort of unfolded the way we feared i thought Giles is it got into sort of a a track meet for green bay and, and the vikings had trouble keeping pace
1: Yep. And the Vikings simply don't have the secondary to be able to keep up with the track meet in that regard. Um, because, and we, we've talked about this before, but the entire Brian Flores defense is predicated on manufacturing pressure and disguising yep. looks and putting as many guys in the line as you can and having those guys make decisions on based on what they see, decide what they're going to do from there. And, uh, that only works if you're able to then actually create pressure with the raw talent that you have. And we can't, can't get pressure right now. Uh, we simply cannot. We, the only way we've been able to manufacture pressure this year is simply by manufacturing it. But if you figure that out as an opposing offense, you're going to be able to slice and dice because our our secondary is relatively vanilla. It's just, it's it's hard to see when you don't realize what's going on. But once the quarterback understands, it's easy to dissect. Yep.
0: I think y- you're right. Um, a lot of the success on defense for the Vikings this year, which has been fun to watch, it's been a product of smoke and mirrors. And, mm-hmm. You and, I, yeah. you and I saw a, uh, interesting stats on Brian Flores' defense and discussed it a couple weeks ago. And at that time, um, the Vikings had the most cover zero blitzes, the most times where they only rushed three and dropped eight. They had, I think, the most cover two, the least cover one. These are all very extreme outcomes extreme stats to have and the vikings have all of them at the same time which Mm -hmm. tells you that flores is doing a lot of different things schematically because he knows that what you're saying is true giles they have to manufacture their success it's not purely because of talented players it's Mm -hmm. it's coached and schemed and i think that Flores would love to move on and not have to do that so much next year and the year after, but he needs more talented players before he can do that. But yep. um, I think Flores and the scheme is part of the solution, not mm-hmm. part of the problem. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, I would really, if I were the Vikings this offseason, if I was Quezzy and O'Connell, I wouldn't hand Flores the keys but I would very much listen to him mm-hmm. about the players he wants to do what he wants to do because I think I have a feeling he is very dialed in. I think he's myopically dialed in to what he wants to do and he knows the players and the types of players he needs to do it. So I would, I would really be in tune with him on that this offseason. Yep.
1: I completely agree. Don't necessarily give him the the absolute keys, but listen to exactly what, what positions and what players that he wants specifically. Now I would be very interested to see what that answer is because on one hand, I think, and this is probably where my, my, my answer solidifies. I think it's on the defensive line, uh, more, more particularly on the interior. He needs an interior push guy that can get home because, the problem with their entire defense right now is that we have to push and push and push and we have to manufacture smoke and mirrors, like you mentioned, uh, but we cannot get home. Let's get more pressure Um, versus if you went, let's say if you did end up with a ninth overall pick, if you went and got a a corner, um, would that help solve your defense? And I think if I had to pick between one of the two, I think I would pick an interior guy as, as unpopular as that is maybe to say, Um, because at the end of the day, I don't know if I, necessarily love any of the corners that are going to go top 10, or at least that you're going to get uh, at the ninth overall pick. I'd much rather get an interior defender, um, but I'd be interested to see what his answer is and how that affects the rest of his scheme.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think from that standpoint, what's interesting, Giles, is if you look, and we can get into PFF grades now if you want, but if you yeah. look at how the the individual in a vacuum performances unfolded, I have a feeling that it's kind of a frustrating situation because some of the players who probably graded well are not necessarily the guys you're hoping play well for the future of the defense. That's just my, my feeling on that. Although I think Tonga is one of the guys who played well and I don't mm-hmm. think he's played well all year, but I think he played well against the Packers. Um, but I, I have a feeling the secondary guys weren't great and edge rushers weren't great, you know, and that's gotta be really frustrating for the Vikings. Um, because if they could have it their way, they'd have Makai Blackman play great. And Byron Murphy who didn't play, but play play mm-hmm. that position play great. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Hunter play great. And th- and then not have the interior guys play great because they already know they didn't have a great season. But I think it kind of was the inverse of that. Um, I have a feeling that that's where it's going to go. So defensively, from a PFF standpoint, talk to us about who played well because I have a feeling it was some of those interior guys, and one of them is a veteran. I, Harrison Phillips uh, was a guy who stood out to me. Um, I also thought Ivan Pace played well. Um, let's see. Let me pull up my uh, my guesses here. I had... Oh, I had those two guys, Pace and Phillips, uh, were okay. my two guesses for top fives. I thought everyone on the outside, corners had a hard time, safeties had a hard time. Um, I thought Harrison Smith was uncharacteristically um, not very impactful, but I thought Pace and Phillips were two guys who looked pretty good.
1: 100%. Well, I'll get the, uh, the negatives out of the way first. Makai Blackman was the worst graded player on the field on Sunday. He ended the day yeah. at a 29.2 grade. Uh, Just horrible. And unfortunately, Caleb Evans didn't do much better. He was the third overall worst player on the field. Uh, He had a 30.1 grade. So when you think about, you know, your left and right cornerbacks, very severe performance. That was not good. Uh, We got absolutely torched in the secondary. Uh, Unfortunately, Harrison Smith was the fifth worst player on the field at a 51.1 grade. So when it came to your secondary, we had some severe struggles. And I think, I mean, when you look at cause and effect, I think that's partially because of pressure. Uh, But when we look at the, kind of the positives uh, which could be converted into negative, depending on how you look at it. The fifth mm-hmm. best player on the field was Lewis scene. Ironically, he hasn't wow, really made the really? field all season now, granted yeah. he only played eight snaps, uh, but he got a 66.3 grade, but he actually made the field for the first time in a long time, considering that he's a first round prospect. Um, so really interested in see he, uh, the fact that he was able to get uh, some attention there, uh, and then coming in at number four was Ivan Pace Jr. at a sixty-seven point yeah. five grade. So, uh, yep. like you mentioned, he uh, was one of the the bright spots in the defense on Sunday. Um, But coming in at number three was Anthony Barr only played eight snaps as well uh, in comparison to Lewis Seen and had a 68.7 grade. Um, You know, I think it's also an interesting trend that out of the three out of the top five all scored below a 70, uh, which is not a great look. If you want to have a a well-performing defense, if your top performers are less than a 70. Um, But then coming in at number two is Harrison Smith. uh, I'm sorry, Harrison Phillips, rather uh, coming in at a 70.3 grade. So just above that threshold, uh, had a pretty decent day across the board, uh, but definitely struggled in the tackling game. He had uh, a lot of missed tackles, uh, which is going to ding your score, um, obviously. And then coming in by a wide margin at number one is Kairis Tonga, uh, coming yeah. in at a 92.6 grade. He did phenomenal yeah. in pass rush. Uh, he had two quarterback hurries. Uh, he was just all over the place when it came to, to get some interior push. Now, He's a guy that was really high on going into the 2023 season, and we have not seen a lot from I was him. Too. So yeah. mm-hmm. if you could find a way to manufacture him having a consistent performance like this, I think he'd be exactly who you want in your defensive line. But if you have an up-and-down season like this, that's hard to predict um, yeah. you know, success for the, the 2024 season. So really t- interested to see what they do in the offseason when it comes to Kyrie Stanga. Um, but ultimately, not a great day for the entire overall defensive output.
0: Yeah, it was it was sort of hard to find someone who you liked enough to predict that they were in the top five to be honest Mm -hmm. with you and I struggled doing that I also kind of struggled doing that on offense but they lost 33 to 10 so that really shouldn't come as a surprise and you know one game is not gonna make or break a season-long evaluation on a player so Tonga played great but I don't think he's had a great season all I think that does for him is instead of just making him an automatic starter at that position going into the off season. He's a guy that you pencil in there, mm-hmm. but you'd be willing to spend a resource, use a resource to upgrade that position. Right. So yeah. um as opposed to some other areas where you're just like, he's good and we're not going to use many resources to upgrade there. Like at safety, I think the Vikings are pretty good at safety. You know, yep. like that's a position I'd be like, you're not going to use a first round pick on a safety. No. Yep. Um. So, uh, you know, interior defensive line is a place where they could use a first-round pick. Like, I be, I be, like the Eagles are sure glad they did it. Yep. Right? Jalen Carter? I mean, talk I about a dominant say. player. Yeah, so you get a guy like that, he can really help your defense. So, um, Offensively, um, tough sledding there as well. I thought there were a few guys, though, who were pretty obvious uh, that they played well. One was Johnny Munt. I thought Justin Jefferson was pretty good. Um, and when I when I looked at remembered back to what I saw in person, you know, I thought some of the offensive line problems were interior. So I probably, I think O'Neill and Derrissaw probably had made good accountings of themselves. So Munt Jefferson, O'Neal, Derrissaw, I would put in the top five.
1: There you go. Um, unfortunately, when it comes to the offensive line, uh, I believe three, four, uh, four out of the five offensive linemen scored below a 60 unfortunately, Uh, and I think that was evident on our ability to move the ball down the field. Now, once again, offensive line performance is both dictated by the actual performance, their actual ability to produce good offensive line play, but also your schematics when it comes to quarterback play and things like that, and that's where I don't think uh, our game plan going into that game was really primed uh, prime for success. So I think partially these grades are, are uh, dictated by scheme and the, the game plan going into the game, but mm-hmm. um, coming in at number five was Brian O'Neill. Uh, he had a 63.7 grade um, did. All right. Now I will say um, throughout the course of the game, um, we'll get into this. Uh, the, right guard Ed Engram did go out with a shoulder injury. So we had someone come in that had reduced snaps, but um, we'll talk about that here in a second. Yep. Like, yep, 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 exactly. Uh, And then coming in at number four was Justin Jefferson coming in a 67.1 grade. Um, He did struggle in the run blocking game, which I think uh, knocked his score down quite a bit. Um, uh, which we'll get into here in a second. But then coming in number three was Blake Brandell at uh, 18 snaps. Really? He had a 71.8 grade. Um, he actually did pretty well when it came to the right guard position. Every time he's played right guard, he's been a decent pass protector, has been a little bit up and down in the run blocking game, but um, when asked to play right guard, he has done relatively well. So I think uh, okay. when it comes to a backup position, I'm okay with him having uh, a kind of a guard status. So really excited sure. to see that. And then coming in number two was Johnny Munt uh, coming in at a 73.4 grade, did well in pretty much every category, played 41 snaps. So clearly he's taken over the T.J. Hawkinson role with T.J. Hawkinson being out. Um, I'm really excited to see that exactly 100% um, did well in all those categories and then coming in number one is no surprise that's Josh Oliver coming in at uh, a 77.8 yeah, yeah, grade yeah. uh, he's yeah. been consistently exactly what we wanted him to be across the board great in pass blocking great in run blocking has been a decent guy in the receiving game I'd like to see him in, integrated a little bit more into the receiving game uh, but at the end of the day he's been a solid prospect being that that left tight end so ultimately decent performance for those guys at the top um, but ultimately when you think about the offensive line play once again um, Ed Ingram and Garrett Bradbury were the worst players on, uh, on offense uh, on Sunday, uh, Ed Ingram being a 43.5 grade and Garrett Bradbury being a 36.8 grade. it would be mm-hmm. re- really interesting to see if we uh, make some changes on the interior over the course of the offseason um, because I think Garrett Bradbury has also kind of slid back to his true form uh, in the games of late. So I think uh, that's going to be an issue, especially if we uh, try to move forward with a more of a statuesque uh, uh, quarterback under center. So it would be really interesting to see what we do with that interior.
0: I mean, I think they should have two new start. I think, I think Reisner should be re signed and they should have two new starters in there. I mean, yep. <laughs> the Reisner thing, like, people were calling for him for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then they finally did it and it worked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, that's what I'm hopeful that they do. That's what I would do if I were them. It's easier to say it. It's harder to do it, but that's where I think they should go. I'd be curious, Giles, since you have the data in front of you, uh, walk us through Ty Chandler and how PFF graded him in different areas of the game.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, ultimately, he played 30 snaps. Uh, he was in the re- kind of a receiving category uh, for 10 snaps, but ultimately he had a 63.6 grade. Um, and when it came to to the actual run, he was a 59.4 grade. And when you look at um, our kind of our box score, I'm just pulling it up here. Um, Ty Chandler averaged four yards a carry. Um, he had four, uh, uh, 40 yards over uh, 10 carries. So did okay as long as carry was nine yards. Um, so clearly he got the, the workhorse portion of all the snaps because alexander madison was next and he only got three carries so uh ty chandler did get three times more um than what uh than what alexander madison got uh, but alexander madison although he got three carries did achieve 17 yards he had 5.7 yards per carry so um really interesting to see that shift there because ultimately i think ty chandler uh was kind of uh, sidelined for most of the season uh they they definitely led with alexander madison i think that tr- that script yeah. has definitely flipped and I wouldn't say I'm in love with four yards per carry. That's a lot better than uh, where we were at before where we were in the, the two yards per carry category. That's where you can have a decent run game. Uh, and at the end of the day, when you look at our entire performance as a whole, um, we did end the day at uh, four point yards per carry across the board. Now, unfortunately, the Green Bay Packers had 8.6, or I'm sorry, uh, they had uh, 4.5 rather uh, yards per carry. So um, they, were, they were better than us and they, they dominated in that way. They were able to control the uh, time of possession. Uh, but ultimately it was, was fairly decent. Um, but with that being said, I don't know if I necessarily trust ty chandler going in and going in at rb1 going into the offseason
0: uh, yeah maybe not um
1: i don't know maybe you disagree
0: no i i can't say i really disagree but i i don't love the con- the the like i don't love the concept of you know paying that position a lot Agreed. of money and you're Agreed. not paying him a lot of money and i don't know the contract details of madison i wasn't prepared to you know go down that route but i don't know if it's expensive next year or not and i don't know if it is expensive if you can even get out of it but i just don't like allocating cash or cap space to the position in general and mm-hmm. i you know i think about some of the teams who i think are really good at running the ball and i'm looking at baltimore right now they are great at running the ball because it's their philosophy and culture it's it's their brand Mm
1: -hmm.
0: they have a great offensive line and they have a running quarter a quarterback who's good at running a running quarterback but like they don't have a bunch of high draft picks running the ball they have you know jk dobbins who's hurt right now but they have Mm -hmm. gus edwards and you know jk dobbins and justice hill you know and these guys run the ball great Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and it's because they block it and they have a good con they have good concepts and a good scheme and they block it right you know, so it's very easy for me to look at a Vikings box score or a, a a you know go watch a game, and I would say that the Vikings with Nick Mullins and Jaron Hall playing quarterback for them in a game they're trying to win should not have twice as many passes called as runs, but they do.
1: Yep, that's you very know. true. Yep,
0: but I think Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips would turn around and say to me. Well, yeah, but I mean, we can't block the run. So why why are you gonna call runs? We can't block for it, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, then I guess, you know, you gotta fix that in the offseason because you can't keep having a two to one pass to run ratio yep. with these quarterbacks. You just can't do that.
1: And to be honest, I think they partially did that to themselves. Now, although I think Dalton Reisner has been a successful signing, I think they mishandled that. That signing in terms of how they wanted to utilize it, if I'm being completely honest, because obviously uh, that signing happened immediately after Ezra Cleveland went down with, I believe, an ankle injury or there was a certain injury where he was gone for a hot second. And before he was elevated off of IR, he was traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars shortly after we signed Dalton Reisner. And uh, you can make an argument that Ezra Cleveland was the best run blocker on our team. He was a decent pass protector. He's a little bit inconsistent, but he was a decent pass protector. But at the end of the day, he was a top 10 guard in a lot of categories. Right. And I think mm-hmm. we were always pushing for us to upgrade that position. Right. But at the end of the day, we could have done far worse. And I think I was definitely pushing for us to sign Dalton riser, but not to replace Ezra Cleveland, but rather to replace Ed Ingram. Ed Ingram. And that's where I think yeah. we've had far more deficiencies. And I think um, our run game has definitely decreased after getting rid of, getting rid of Ezra Cleveland. Because I think uh, when you look at Garrett Barrett or Garrett Bradbury's performance, Was directly tied to Ezra Cleveland when it came to the success in the run blocking game. So I think you would have been able to consistently keep uh, a high level offensive line play if you would have pushed Dalton Reisner over to the right side and benched Ed Ingram. Now, obviously, then you wouldn't have gotten a six round draft pick for, for Ezra Cleveland from the Jaguars. But I think you would have been in a much better position to kind of combat these running issues that we're having right now in the season.
0: Yep. Yep, you're right. And this is an area that we'll talk about in the offseason. How can the Vikings fix the interior? How can they be a better running team? Because and it's not just to save them in a spot where the Nick Mullins has to start for you. They're they're a better, more explosive offense if they can do this, even with Kirk Cousins playing. You know, mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins would benefit greatly from a, a four and a half yard per carry run game with the play action and just with the way Cousins likes to play the position that'd be very beneficial for the Vikings. So that'll be an area that they have to fix Um, and a conversation for us to have uh, multiple times uh, over the course of the off season, which hopefully will not start the off season uh, next week for the Vikings. Hopefully they can uh, beat the Detroit Lions here in the final uh, regular season season uh, game of uh, of tw- of the 2023 season and, and get into the playoffs with some help. So let's talk about that quickly here and wrap this episode of the Wobcast 2.0 up. Uh, Vikings-Lions Sunday from Ford Field. Uh, kickoff is noon central time. The Lions installed as five-point favorites, Giles. The game totals 46.5. The Vikings enter at 7-9 and nine off the loss at home to Green Bay. Looking to secure a wild-card berth. To, to secure a wild-card berth, the Vikings must win. And then they need Green Bay and Seattle to lose. And then they need Tampa or New Orleans who play each other to lose. So just that game can't end in a tie. Uh, as long as that doesn't happen, the Vikings are good. They beat Detroit. And then they need some help from uh, Chicago to beat Green Bay and Arizona uh, to beat Seattle. Detroit enters at 11-5. and five. What a season for the Lions. They've won the NFC North, and they are looking to secure the NFC's number two seed. They also need some help. In order to do that, they have to beat Minnesota, and then they need losses by Dallas, who is at Washington, and Philly, who is at New York. If those things happen, Detroit's the number two seed. If not, Detroit will be the number three seed uh, in the NFC playoffs. So um, we're going to see Detroit's best, guys on Sunday because they're angry from their controversial loss last week, if you watch that, um, oh boy. a game in which the officials uh, appeared to have screwed up a, a tackle-eligible situation uh, on the game's uh, basically the game's final play, in which Detroit scored, but then the touchdown got <clears throat> got called back. Um, um, so they'll be angry coming off that loss last week. Um, and then Dallas and Philly play the second round, g- the second games on Sunday. They play in the the late games, the afternoon games. So it's like Detroit won't know if if they can win the two seat or not. When they're playing Minnesota, so they're they're all out to beat Minnesota, and then they'll sit back and watch Dallas and the and Philadelphia play their their games. So we're gonna get Detroit's best here. Um, I saw a clip of Dan Campbell at his press conference this week saying he has controlled fury right now, and his team is ready to go this week. And I'm yep. sitting there gone. I don't know if the Vikings want anything to do with that. Um,
1: I was going to say, that's the exact wrong team you want to play after that.
0: (laughs) Yep. So I don't know how you see things unfolding here, Giles, but I think uh, the Vikings are up against it on Sunday.
1: Uh, I completely agree. Uh, One, because I think the Detroit Lions are a better team at this time and place. But I also think, for the reason you mentioned, the the Lions are angry. And when you mix some pretty amazing talent on both sides of the ball plus pretty strong emotion, I think there's a chance that we get trucked on Sunday yeah
0: yeah you could i mean unfortunately when, when that that tackle eligible play got screwed up by the refs uh, it was a two point conversion, not a touchdown, but um you know I mean just the it was not controlled fury in that moment <laughs> on the field. they were <laughs> outraged yeah, and now they maybe, so yeah, now they' are you know they claim to be channeling that fury toward uh, their next ga- game and opponent, which is the Minnesota Vikings, on top of the fact that they're just a very good physical roster anyway when they don't have controlled fury they're they're big bad bullies now they're even more so that way and we're talking about not loving the interior of the vikings offensive line and um not necessarily loving the interior of the defensive line and that's where detroit is strong it just kind of is a bad combination um i i don't we don't know who's going to play quarterback i don't i don't know what the avenues are for the vikings To pursue here in this matchup other than trying to get Jefferson loose, which is what you would do against any opponent because Jefferson's as good as there is in the NFL. So if it's Hall, I think they have to do what you said, Giles. I think they have to have moving pockets and short throws and half field reads and be methodical in their execution and and see if they can string together some successful possessions and make a game of this. You know, if it's Mullins, it's more of an air it out. It's more of a five- and seven-step drop and get Jefferson and Osborne and Addison down the field. So I don't know which way they're going to go. You and I th- kind of think they should go Jaron Hall and um, see if you can learn a little bit more about your young quarterback in a game where, you know, the degree of difficulty is very high. We'll see what happens. But I'd say of all the games we predicted this year, this would be the hard you're, – you're the most hard-pressed to predict a victory in this one as you have been all season, you know.
1: Yeah, 100%. They're a formidable opponent when you think about all the different categories in which the Detroit Lions put people on the field. I mean, if, even according to PFF, they are the five best overall team in the NFL when you look at every category. Um, Offense, defense, I mean, the only category in which they're even slightly deficient when it comes to metrics is that they have a few missed tackles here and there. But other than that, they're a dominant team in a lot of categories. They're a team that's starting to click, uh, and this is the exact wrong time to play them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I I was thinking about that um, with the Baltimore Ravens too, Giles, as just a team that's, you know, every team's seasonal arc is different. Some teams play great right away and they tail off. Some teams are horrible right away and they ramp it up. Some teams are, you know, progressively getting better all the time. The Ravens, the Lions are two examples of teams that in the final quarter of the regular season getting into the playoffs, they are peaking and that's perfect. That's exactly yeah. how you want to do it. Yeah. Um you know what another thing too is? The Lions played in a A regular season finale last year where if they won they couldn't make the playoffs and if they won it hurt their draft position but they went out and won the game they tried to win it and they won it and i think that was good for their culture and good for Mm -hmm. their following season which is now this season Mm -hmm. so that's you know something to point out as you think about the vikings and if you're one who's with good intentions, secretly hoping they lose because you know it's better for their draft position. Just remember an example like that where Detroit, I think that them winning that game last year, I, I think they still would have been good this year regardless. But, I mean, that was indicative of their culture and their attitude last year. It's like this win doesn't help us in the standings, but we're going to go out here and we're going to beat Green Bay and we're going to keep them from going to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And this is part of our culture and this is part of who we are. So there's something to say about that for the Vikings, you know,
1: especially cause they're now going to be the team that we have to go up against for the next years to come. Like they sure. have now yeah. built a pretty young roster, but a very dominant roster. I mean, they're yeah. one above average cornerback from probably being, the best team in the NFL roster wise.
0: Yeah. I I truly
1: believe that they're pretty phenomenal. I think the, the 49ers are maybe the most complete team this year. And I think the lions are just one tiny step away from becoming that. I think the jets were another one in this category, but obviously their quarterback went down in that train wreck the rest of their season. But, uh, When it comes to the roster, the Lions are quite phenomenal, and they're very young. So I think uh, they're definitely something you need to keep your eye on, especially when when you're thinking about building your own roster. uh, You're going to have to think about that for the next years to come when it comes to winning the NFC North.
0: These are not your father's Detroit Lions, right? You're looking at the Lions as a team, a franchise. You can sort of pick and pull a couple of, you know... Uh, best practices from. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been a while since you could say yeah. that about the Lions, but that's that's how they're building it and what they're doing. Um, all right.
1: Anything left in your notebook here before we wrap it up? Um, one thing you did pull kind of words out of my mouth uh, is the Baltimore Ravens. Um, yeah. Not to be an anti-Minnesota Vikings fan and hoping that they win uh, for the rest of the, the season and get into the playoffs and go, go make a run. I do think the Ravens are actually primed to win the Super Bowl this year. I am predicting a Baltimore Ravens 49er Super Bowl, and I think the Ravens are going to come out victorious. They are clicking in all the right ways. Uh, As a football fan, I'm really loving what the Ravens are putting on paper.
0: It's hard not to like that style of play, not to like watching it, you know, because it's, Mm -hmm. it's big, bad bully ball. It's smash mouth, blue collar, good defense, but it's not. And I like that but some fans of football think that's boring because they want to see the scoreboard light up. But even though that's their brand, it's still fun to watch and exciting. They score a lot of points and Mm -hmm. stylistically the way they do it is good. Yeah. It's not Ed Reed, Ray Lewis and the late great Tony Saragossa. It's not sensational like that, but Mm -hmm. it is that brand of football that John Harbaugh has. And it's a brand that obviously works. His brother, Jim has that brand of football at the university of Michigan. (laughs) And they're obviously in the, in the national championship game and, have won three straight Big Ten titles. So it's, it's a brand of football that works. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the Ravens do it in an entertaining way. They're fun to watch, for sure. Yep. So another franchise that you could pluck and pull best practices from, the Baltimore Ravens. Yes. I mean, they are very rarely a team out of the, out of the mix, out of the race. They're, they're a perennial contender, you know, and they've yep. been that way since John Harbaugh arrived. They've been that way for mm-hmm. almost two decades. So,
1: yep. He's just like um, a, a Tomlin from the Steelers. They're just yeah. a, an iconic team that is able to weather a lot of storms.
0: Yep, and and they stick with their, their core guys through thick and thin, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think the Steelers have had three head coaches in the last, whatever, 60 years or some ridiculous stat like that, you know? And yeah. the Ravens obviously aren't going to be moving on from Harbaugh anytime soon, and they stuck with him through a couple of, of dry seasons as well. So there's something to be mm-hmm. said for that consistency and, and knowing what your principles are and yeah, you have to adapt and move on from mistakes and cut your losses, but, you know, you also need to know what your identity is and stick with it. And the mm-hmm. Ravens are a franchise who have done that. So, yeah. All righty. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Uh, let's watch a Vikings victory on Sunday and see what happens. And maybe our next episode, we're still talking about uh, the Vikings' current season and see if they can make an improbable trip to the playoffs. That'd be a lot of fun. If not, we'll be at- be back next week to kick off the off season. We'll keep our eye on the playoffs and and the like, but um, you know we'll uh, we'll sort of shift our focus. To the vikings off season if things do not go the way we want them to go but if they do go well uh, this week for the vikings it'll be fun to talk about the playoffs so um on behalf of giles this is wabi signing off for now we remind you to like subscribe and follow the wabcast 2.0 wherever you do that with all your other favorite football content we're on youtube uh social media instagram go check out our instagram handle lots of interesting stuff that giles is posting there um And of course, we're uh, we're wherever you find all your other favorite podcasts: Google Play, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So on behalf of Giles, this is Wabi signing off for now. Skull Vikings.